Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. John chapter 20. First thought, have you ever considered the power of asking a good question? Put up, put up on the screen. There is... The idea is there is power in asking a good question. Anybody give me a head nod on that? There's power in that. I had a friend uh, probably 20 years ago. He asked me, Mark, is everything a joke to you? And I appreciate, I appreciate him asking me that question because it actually affected my life. It helped me do some self-assessment. I found it interesting that the Harvard Business Review wrote an entire article about the surprising power of questions. And it says it spurs learning, it fuels innovation, it builds rapport, it can improve our emotional intelligence. There's power, that's what we're talking about, power in a good question. Uh, I've heard stories of people who've ended up starting a business, and part of their story is someone asked them at one point, have you ever considered starting a business? And that's part of their story. Part of my spiritual story includes a moment where his name, Mr. Green, not Professor Plum or Colonel Mustard, but Mr. Green... Some of you did not catch that because it's about an old game. Anyway, Mr. Green uh, was eight feet, feet from me. He was cleaning vegetables in the sink, like carrots, you know, like. And he asked me a question. It was just a regular moment, but he said, Mark, how long have you been a Christian? And I won't go into the whole story, but that question spurred me to, it was part of the significant story where I actually became a Christian, gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord. And it's because he asked me a really good, he, he asked me a question. Um, my daughter can influence my activity by asking me this question. Dad, is that what you are wearing? You get that, didn't you? And then I'll say, no, I just wanted you to know what I'm not wearing. And then I go, and I change. The power of a question. Let me add one little idea here that will help us connect it to the, to the rest of the talk. Questions don't just influence us. They can also tell us about the person. Hear this. They can, it, can, it can also tell us about the person who's asking the question. So if my first question to you, if I just meet you today, and my first question is, who are you rooting for in the NCAA tournament? That might tell you something about me. If you then ask back, what the heck is the NCAA tournament? That might tell me something about you. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of a big college basketball thing going on called March Madness. Okay. So questions tell us about the per can tell us about the person who's asking the question. So here's where we're heading. God is a God who asks questions. Did you know that? God is a God who asks questions, which is kind of crazy, could feel a little different, 
because he doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer, there has to be some other motive, because he knows the answer. A couple of verses, Psalm 147 tells us about the creator of the universe, and it totally makes sense. His understanding has no limit. And in 1 John 3.20, it's, this is just so simple. It says, he knows everything, okay? He knows everything, and yet he asks questions. One of the early examples comes from Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve have sinned, and now uh, they're afraid, and they're hiding from God, and he asks them questions. He, say, he says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? He knows the answers to those, but I did a quick study in the New Testament of just Jesus' words, and this might not be uh, the, the exact number, but I would estimate about 50 times in Jesus' ministry, he didn't teach something or declare something. He would ask people questions. So this Easter weekend, I was a little surprised when I read one of the Easter accounts, the Easter account in John 20, that according to this gospel, the first thing that Jesus said after the resurrection was not a statement, but it was a question, actually two questions of a woman named Mary. And so that's what we're going to look at. So the background, Jesus, a lot of you know this, Jesus uh, came, he did incredible ministry, incredible teaching, all kinds of miracles. Then he was killed, if you didn't know this, he was killed on your behalf. He died for the sin of the world, which you're part of. Sorry to include you in that, but it's true. And he died on the cross to pay for our sin. He spent three days, and then he rose from the grave. And that's what's happened here. And it's that morning, people don't know yet that he has risen, and a woman named Mary, who loved Jesus, was heading early that morning to the tomb to basically care for his, what she thought was dead, her, his dead body. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that disciple's name is John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Let me sum up a few verses. So Peter and John, when they hear the news, they run to the cemetery where the tomb is, and they explore, and they kind of scratch their head, and they're like, we don't know what happened. This is strange. There's the linens are there, and Jesus is not there. So eventually, Peter and John kind of go, behind. They go back to wherever they're staying. Mary stays by the tomb. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, 
she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And here it is. Jesus asked her two questions. Woman, why are you crying? And who is it you are looking for? Why are you crying? And who is it you are looking for? That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Title of the talk is Exploring Jesus Easter Morning Questions. And uh, I would argue, tell you that these questions tell us something about the God that most of us are here to worship this morning. So let me pause and pray and I'll give you these ideas. Uh, God, for some of us, this will be reminders. I think for everyone, it will be helpful. For some, it, it may be the uh, first time that we've explored these principles. Mostly, God, I add this prayer to the, the hundreds of prayers that have already been prayed for our services this weekend. We just need you. We gather because we want you to show up, whether that's here in the auditorium we, we pray for those that are at home. We pray for the children's ministry, all the stuff that's going on. We just, again, open the door to you. We want you here. Be our teacher, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first idea, and if you're here, you can write this down on the handout you received when you walked in. Jesus' Easter questions point to God's selfless, we're going to talk about God's selfless compassion. I get this selfless compassion. I get this from the why are you crying question. And what struck me is why didn't Jesus just stop her crying by interjecting, hey, quit crying, I'm alive. But that's not what he did. There's, there's like, there is this, it appears to be a patient pause. Again, he's resurrected and he's, oh wait there, and it appears to, there's this patient pause and this inquiry, why are you crying? Now that also um, seems more remarkable to me when I've considered, so he's concerned, apparently he's concerned about Mary's crying when he personally, you could argue, has been through a whole lot more the last four days than she has been through. Does that make any sense? I, I just thought about this. Let me just remind you of some of what Jesus has been through the last couple days, right? He's been betrayed, denied, falsely accused, punched in the face, beaten with a stick, whipped by a thing called a scourge. Here's a picture of a scourge come up on the screen. It's not just a whip, it's a whip that has little pieces of bone or pottery or glass into it so that it tears the flesh off. So Jesus has been beaten with this 39 times from the top of his shoulders all the way down his backside and probably down to his legs, okay? So that's part of what he's been through over the last few days. After that, he was put on a cross where he hung and the weight of his own body made him, made it struggle to breathe. So that's what happens on a cross is you end up trying to hold yourself up just to get breath and you end up in this bobbing up and down motion until eventually everything comes out of joint and you die, you suffocate. He was then beyond that, after his body's already dead, some Roman soldiers come just to make sure like it was, they, they knew he was dead, but just to make sure, they take a spear and they ram it up between his, his ribs and poke it into his, like, okay, definitely dead. 
And I, this was a new thought to me, if you want to add to the what all he's been through. He hasn't had a breath in three days. Wakes up, and then, like if I were him, I would go, hey, quit your crying, man. You haven't been through nothing. Look at my hands. I got holes in my hands. What am I going to do with that? Will you look at all the, do you not, do you understand, like, what, maybe it doesn't strike you, but it strikes me. And what I think happened is he's uh, uh, risen and he's God. And, he's, and, all, and what happens is his heart so quickly engages for his friend who is close by crying. It's like, oh, there's Mary. Why are you crying? Here's the idea, you can write it down. Even in the midst of Jesus' severe trauma, he continues to have an outward focus. In the midst of his severe trauma, he continues to have an outward focus. And there is some theology, some understanding about God that is worth noting here. God is a God who responds. God is a God who responds, takes notice of people who are crying. And when I say crying, it may not just be physical crying, but that idea. He hears it. He responds to the hurt, the emotional distress that people are going through. If you, uh, just to kind of support that. In Exodus chapter 3, God is going to tell a man whose name is Moses, I am calling you to go and lead my people out of slavery. And in verse 9, it says that God said to Moses, it says, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Right? I have heard their cry and distress. That's why I'm telling you to go set them free. Make sense? God pays attention hears, listens for the cries of people. In Luke 18, it says this, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? God notices distressed people, crying people. There's, uh, if you want an assignment, you could read in Mark chapter 10. There's a story of a blind man. His name is Bartimaeus. He's sitting by a road, and Jesus comes out of a town, and there's a, the Bible says it's a large crowd. So it's kind of like a parade following Jesus. The blind gentleman hears, of course, all the people and the talking and all that stuff, and he inquires or finds out it's Jesus. And so he begins to yell to cry out to Jesus, it says this, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, and I noticed his cry. It was, have mercy on me. That is a statement of a person who is in need. He's not yelling a command, hey, hey, have mercy on me. That's not, he is, have mercy on me is from a place of a place of weakness. So he's crying out to Jesus. And if you read the whole thing, Jesus stopped the whole parade. Said, tell that guy to come here. And he helped him. 
because of God's great compassion. And I want to make a little shift here. This is the, maybe the best part about God's compassion. He doesn't just bring heartfelt compassion. He brings what he brings, which is power to make things better. I was uh, in a meeting, not this week, the week before, with one of the ladies that are on staff at the church, and she was in my office, and we were just talking about life and ministry, and then she shared something that was tender to her heart, and she began to cry, like, like legit, like, cry. And so I, I, just so you know, it felt awkward. She was on the other side of the desk, at least a little awkward, and we're friends, but I, I went, okay, now we're crying. <laughs> and so, and I, but I had compassion, so I got up, and I went around my desk, and I did the best I could, which was, oh, and I was praying in my heart, oh, God, help us, because, do you know what I mean? Like I, but, so I wasn't great at it. She actually said I did okay, but I was like, but here's the difference between me and God. Like God, God does that. He has compassion. But he brings a whole lot more to that picture than I could bring or you and I can bring to each other. So I started to explore. Here's an exercise you may want to do. I started to explore what are things that we or I cry about. Because Jesus asked Mary, why are you crying? So here's a question that will come up on the screen. What, what do I cry about? Pause and think about that. What do I cry about? Now, I want to give room here because some of you, uh, probably especially guys, you are not criers. I'm like, can I get a amen? I ain't crying about, hey, it's, it's America. You can still say that. Amen. I ain't crying about, are there no men in the house that, that don't cry? We're done with church. <laughs> by the way, in a world, this, is, this may not be, I'm just going to, by the way, in a world that tells you you should cry, I'm going to tell you sometimes, especially guys, it's okay not to cry. It's okay to be strong and stand up and say, y'all can cry, but I got to do something here, okay? Sorry, that was, that was free, and some of you are mad I said it, but <laughs> happy Easter. So... <laughs> Because I could go, this is, that's not the talk today, but that there are other times, and I could take you to Bible places, where you don't, where even if you're emotionally hurt or whatever, you don't cry because you say this needs done, and you go do that. But that's not the sermon. It feels like it's the sermon right now, but it's not the sermon. We're going to bring it back. Even for those of us who say, well, I don't cry, or we rarely cry, or we only cry when we're by ourselves, or all that stuff, here's what I would say. Even if we don't cry physically, we cry about stuff we still have hurt emotional things that s s distress us. Can I, it's okay to admit that. Some of you are like, no, I don't. Well, some of you are legitimately heartless, so we'll pray for you. But the rest of us, <laughs> most of us, I'm looking at some of the guys, right? Even if we don't cry, like there are still things, I got to move on. So, so I started to explore personally what are things that I figuratively or really cry about? Because there's some things I'll actually... And these are some things that came to mind. I want to share them because God brings help to those things and actually helps me, us, to cry less. Here was the idea. First one was relationships. Relationships can be challenging. They can be stressful. There can be discord. And into that, God brings into the good news. He brings this good news from like the Bible verses like this where he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you 
you. That helps. How many of you have been forsaken by a human being? I'll wait till we all raise our hand. Some of you still didn't, but we'll go on. That's how that happens. But God, he says, never will I do. That helps me. I'm like, yes, God is solid. I thought about financial worries or worrying about stuff. And Jesus teaches in a section in Matthew 6, he's talking about don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about, what you're, about the body, what you will wear. And he says, life's more important than food. And that's helpful. But he goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says this of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are valuable to him. And he basically says, I got you. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should become a follower of Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus for you. But you have value. You have value because God says you have value. That is helpful. Uh, deterioration of the body. Some of you don't understand. I was thinking, what do I cry about? Well, I cry because my body's deteriorating. Some of you do not understand this, and you right now think, my body ain't never going to deteriorate. Next week, we're doing a series called, Who Told You That? And you may want to come, because eventually, that's a common lie, but eventually, anyway, the deterioration of the body. Like, so some of you, that anybody, some of you that are older, you relate to, oh man, that's falling apart now. You know what helps is if you get to know Jesus and you understand the Bible and God's plan is in heaven, like we get a new body. I'm going to be able to do like eight sit-ups in heaven. <laughs> I'm like eight of them. I'll just, you know, boom, 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 boom. No, okay. And that helps. It helps me. Like, oh, all these thoughts, although kind of humorous, they really do help in life. Uh, last, I, last thing I thought about with, the, with God as I was thinking, what do I cry about? And I thought, there sometimes I cry about stuff that I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just sad. Does any of you relate to that? You, I don't even, because like life is good and this is okay and I can do one sit up and I, whatever. And I'm like, why? But I just am sad. And then I thought of God's vision for eternity. And it goes something like this in Revelation 21.4. Here's God, this is what's going to happen to you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ. Here's what's, here's what's in our future. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's what God's plan and compassion brings to the picture. You can write this in. This is a takeaway in my mind from this idea of his selfless compassion. The next time I find myself feeling sad, I should give myself to God. I should be like, hey, Lord, I'm feeling, and let him speak to us. And I'm going to do one more point before we, uh, one little, but to wrap up this point, this point. 
We live in a world, I'm going to ask you to be different. We live in a world that is crying about a lot of stuff, right? We're crying about stuff. We're whining about stuff. We're posting stuff about stuff. We're complaining about stuff. We're blaming other people and this and that about stuff. Nothing is going to get better until we begin to turn our face toward God and cry out to him more than we whine about other stuff. I'm just saying, you, we don't have the capacity, human beings don't have the capacity to fix the pain and stuff that's going on in the world. And, and we're being stupid. Culturally, we are being foolish to think somehow if we get the right politician, if we get the right this, if we get the right that, oh, that'll fix everything. Ain't nothing gonna get fixed unless we get God into the picture. That's true. So Jesus' Easter questions reveal God's selfless compassion. And that one other point, it also reveals God's desire for attention. God's desire for attention. Hang in there. We're going to get through this point quickly. Uh, a story. Last summer, my son, Isaac, he's 23 years old, Here's a picture of Isaac. Come up on the screen, I think. He carries his wife everywhere. <laughs> we were just out one day, and she dresses up a lot. <laughs> so that's my son Isaac. And uh, this last summer, he stopped at our home, and I recognized his car, of course. Um, and he got out of the car. Of course, I met him. I'm like, hey. I said, what's up? And I don't remember the exact wording, but he said this. He said, you know, I just came over to see what you were doing and to see you. And I went, what? Because <laughs> I thought, I was really waiting for the, and can I borrow the, or the something. But he just came over, and that's what he did. He just drove over in hopes of, like, I would be there. Now, do you get that feel like that? Because my first thought was, what? I don't understand. The second thought was, how cool is this? Now, what I want to do is connect that thought to that feeling to the feeling that God has. Because I just tell you, it is a rare thing that people show up. Rare. I'm going to emphasize that. It is a rare thing in the sea of humanity that people drive anywhere to, to really seek after God. Even though some of us would say we would, a lot of times, really, we just want what he brings. We're like, hey, I just was hoping for some money, or I was hoping for some healing, or I was hoping for some help. Those are not necessarily bad things, but if you could go a little deeper today, what if you just were looking for God? I will tell you that that will make you exceptional. And that's what we're looking at with Mary. Mary is exceptional. In the, the second question Jesus asked her, who is it you are looking for? And I wonder, it may not be true, but I wonder if Jesus is not in his mind thinking, oh gosh, I hope it's me. <laughs> right? Now he actually does know already, but he still asks her the question. And I want to focus on, as we get ready to close, on remarkable Mary, because she is clearly looking for Jesus. She got up early in the morning. When he wasn't where he was supposed to be, she ran 
She ran to the other disciples to say, we gotta, have, we gotta figure out where Jesus is. She stays longer than the apostles, Peter and John, which is kind of remarkable. They go, I don't know what's happening, and end up giving up. They go home before she does, and she stays. And in verse 15, we didn't read it, but she thinks Jesus is the gardener for a moment, and she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Who's him? It's Jesus. She is absolutely there, intent on, I want to, I want Jesus. And I would submit to you that is a rare commodity in Jesus or God's experience. Let me give you a couple of verses. In Psalm 14, 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And then here's the answer in that writing of that psalm. All have turned away. In other words, God's on his throne. He's like, is any, and it's like, man, no one. In another place in the New Testament, Jesus is describing what it looks like when people follow him as Lord. And he says, small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's God's experience. That's not God's wish. And we're going to finish with this idea, this Easter, be, I guess you can write it down now. When it comes to looking for God, how about we be exceptional? That's the challenge. How about we you and I, Jeremy, be exceptional. Like that's the call. It's a big challenge. How about in my household, or your household, or your apartment complex, your neighborhood, your dorm, even if nobody else or few people are diligently seeking the God of the Bible, the God who rose from the grave, how about today we commit or recommit our life to being part of that group of people? By the way, if that's a new idea to you, it's a very, 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 very important question for you to consider. Why not be exceptional and be one of those people that no matter what is going on or who's going where, looking for whatever, we follow and look for Jesus. Why don't you stand and we're going to close. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.